0: Yeah. We'll Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 923 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here. If you haven't subscribed to the Mike Broomhead Show podcast, please do it. Very simple. Never miss a minute of the show again. It's the Mike Broomhead Show podcast, brought to you this week by Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty East Valley. Get the most money selling your home for cash at highestprice.com. That's highestprice.com. We could just listen to Foreigner. I'm all right with that. Um, let's talk about uh, what's happening at the board. I want you to hear a couple of things. The, uh, um, there was a, a statement. The Office of Management and Budget Director, Shalanda Young was speaking before a Senate committee. I believe this is with Lindsey Graham. And uh, her description of what's happening at the border.
1: Look, we have a a pattern of migration. um, And we are preparing to ramp up for a traditional pattern um, of additional people coming across the border. My question is, what do you support eliminating Title 42 deportation authority? I don't have a personal opinion. I believe we, uh, from a resource position, are putting forth enough money to deal with a historic pattern.
0: We have seen record numbers of people coming over in months where we normally are down in numbers of people coming over. We are we have surpassed, I believe, in this fiscal year that's only about six months old, we've surpassed a million border crossers this year, and she calls this a traditional pattern. So you understand that either they are completely ignorant about the problem or they're lying, and, and that's where, again the american people just want answers we don't expect people to be perfect we don't people as a matter of fact good leaders make their money when they, when there's a crisis it's you know it's easy to do the job it's easy to sail the ship when the seas are calm you earn your money in rough waters if you're a pilot you earn your money during turbulence And, you know, and and that's what good leaders do. That's what they're qualified for. So she goes on. She's talking about there's one point nine billion dollars allocated for the border. And what happened to it? So he this administration just continues to withhold the one point nine billion that was appropriated several congresses ago that has stayed in the account Thankfully, GAO has agreed that we are obligating prudently under the law. And what are you obligating it to? Because you're not doing any construction. So are you just paying people to hold the rusting materials? No, we're actually
1: doing environmental restoration, something that was woefully lacking. We're also doing community consultation. I think that's important to many of you who represent constituents.
0: So they're doing environmental restoration. Now, here's the hypocrisy of that. And I'm going to try not to get angry. If you've never been to the border, I want you to look it up. I want you to look it up online and look at the pictures of what is being done to southern Arizona. Just just being selfish about our state. Go and look at what's being done to southern Arizona with it, bo- illegal border crossers. It really looks like a landfill. There are places where it is filled with dirty diapers and dirty clothing and discarded trash. It The, the desert gets trashed ranchers are very concerned because their property gets damaged so this idea of environmental restoration because the building of a wall all the environmental damage that the trump administration did it is such a farcical thing to say what you are saying is such a distraction from the truth of what happens every day now i think of all of the things that are being done at our southern border the environmental damage is probably the least of the serious concerns as serious as it is we should be talking about the loss of human life, the hundreds of people that are found every year dead that were coming across our border illegally. But if you're going to bring up the environmental restoration with $1.9 billion in border funding that was set aside and is still there, they're doing community um, counseling And environmental restoration, if that isn't the epitome of rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic, I don't know what is. It is a complete ignoring of this problem. I'll go back to my original point that I'm going to probably make a 100 more times. This is where the average American who does not care about your politics is furious because they feel as if you are ignoring the problem. It just doesn't make sense. So now the White House comms director. Kate Beddingfield is talking about the surge that's coming because when Title 42 ends there. Even the White House is predicting a massive surge of people crossing our border. We are planning for uh, multiple contingencies, and we have every expectation that when the CDC ultimately decides it's appropriate to lift Title 42, there will be an influx of people to the border. If you look at what we were able to do last spring, there was uh, there was an ability to uh, to move those numbers and uh, move those children uh, uh, quickly uh, into facilities that were uh, better suited for them. What they've done and what they, they continue to do, and this is now a nationwide issue, is they are flying people all over the country, busing them and flying them all over the country. We've had hotels filled with people here in Arizona. What it does is it strains the food banks. It strains the shelters. It strains everything because there were times here in Arizona what was happening is there is a, a bus station. And I think 19th Avenue and Glendale is where I believe it is or is it 27th Avenue in Glendale. There is a bus station they They were dropping off busloads of people. The federal government was letting some nonprofit organizations know that we've got people that are just going to be dropped off. They've got no food. They've got no water. Most of them don't speak English. And everything they own, they're carrying with them. And they will be on the streets in just a few hours. And that's what's been happening. And we're loading people on airplanes, and we're flying them all over the country. And so this is happening everywhere. And these are human beings. So as Americans, we are going to care for them. Whether it's governmental care or it's individual nonprofit care, and you're looking at a system that's getting more and more strained with Americans that are in need, and we are now also seeing this strain added to it, and there's no end in sight. So I'm going to make a prediction. Because it's about politics, and I'm pretty familiar with how politics works, and I can tell you how this is going to go. Title 42 will end. They will end Title 42 at some point in the near future. We will see a massive uptick of people crossing the border. That's going to happen. And then you will see the White House press secretary or somebody from the White House blame this on the previous administration's policy and being inhumane to people. And if they hadn't done this, this wouldn't be happening. That's what's coming. As if to say that if Title 42 was never in place, those people wouldn't come. Or are you saying if Title 42 hadn't been put in place, those people would already be here so it wouldn't be happening on your watch. It's one or the other. And if you're going to say that they wouldn't have come at all, you're not telling the truth. There are ways that we can deal with things, but they're not. They just aren't. I will ask this in all seriousness. Where is the vice president of the United States who was charged with fixing this problem? Where is our vice president? Nowhere, nowhere to be seen. And it's I I believe that it's shameful. I think that it's something that needs to be handled. Coming up in a moment, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about voter integrity because there was something that happened here in Arizona that I think we need to discuss. I did a little earlier. We're going to discuss it again. It's coming up here in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. I want to talk about voter integrity. We are now in 2022. We are racing toward a primary in August and toward a general election in November, and we have got a a ton of important races. Jumping into this now is the county attorney's race. If you live in Maricopa County, that's going to affect you dramatically on who we elect as our next county attorney. And we are still arguing about 2020, at least in some circles. And people that believe the election is stolen will hang on to any little piece of evidence that they can. But that's human nature, because there are still people, and we We've talked about this and we you know, may again uh, about people believing 2016 was stolen by the Russians. And it's interesting with the diehards. And what I mean by that is I've had suspicions like other people have at times. And you ask questions and then you look for truthful answers. And if you don't believe the answers you're getting, you get somebody independent to answer questions. We've done all that as a state. So I'm not going to and this is where it, it starts to get. I start having my feet in two boats again. I don't believe that the audit was done the right way. I don't believe they hired the right person. I think it was absolutely partisan. I don't think it was going to convince anything of any anyone of anything and I think it was the wrong way to do things. I believe that to be true. But I'm not going after Senator Fan and the Senate for spending all this money because the people that are upset and pointing out of how much money this costs are the very same people that had no problem with the federal government spending millions of dollars over three years investigating a dossier and a Mueller report and Russian collusion. It's just the same thing. It's the opposite side of the same coin. What I am concerned about is that the average person that looks at the political fighting that's going on and tells everybody to grow up are the ones that are still going to vote if they believe the elections have integrity. So when the governor signs a piece of legislation that makes it mandatory for you to prove that you are a citizen. Now, it's I don't it it is not a big process. It's not a hard process. I've gotten a passport. That was much more difficult. You know, there are things you have to do. You have to get a passport to go to Mexico. We didn't used to have to do that. You just go to Mexico and come back with a driver's license. Now you have to have a passport to go to Canada, to go to Mexico. Things change, and we don't call them. It's not marginalizing. It's none of that. That's just the way it is. You have to get a vaccine passport to come into this country if you're an American on an airplane. You have to prove that you have a negative test before you're allowed back into the country on an airplane. Fly to, f- drive to Nogales. Or fly to Cabo. When you come back, it's two different sets of rules. But that's the way it is. And when it comes to voting, no one is trying to stop someone from voting. What we are doing is trying to stop people that don't have the right to vote from voting and ensuring that that is happening because there are people in both parties that have doubted the validity of our elections. Now we have things in place, and I want you to hear the governor. This is Governor Ducey defending signing the voter ID bill.
1: Legislative council said explicitly it's unconstitutional
0: to require federal voters to show ID, even though we require it for other voters in Arizona. Why sign a bill you know is unconstitutional? Well, one, it's not unconstitutional. It's going to be the law of the land in ninety. 90- Days and i believe that voter id is step one of being able to vote and proof of citizenship along with that this bill ensures that and if somebody wants to challenge it in court that's our system we think it's good legislation we think it protects the voters and protects citizens to uh, ensure and not dilute their vote and if somebody on the left wants to challenge it have at it All right, so Barry Markson is in here at at KTAR, and many of you know have heard Barry on this show and in the afternoon show. He's a brilliant attorney in town. Well, I don't know. Brilliant's a bit of a stretch, but he is an attorney. Um, So Markson is an attorney here in town and is saying he was on Gatos and Chad and said expect there to be a legal challenge. There's going to be a lawsuit on it that's going to say it's unconstitutional, so I don't think it's going to go into effect. But this 2022 election, some would say it violates federal law, especially as it relates to people who've registered to vote on the federal form. So there's going to be an issue with that. Theoretically, people can still read register, but for a lot of people, about 200,000 people in Arizona, they could be purged from the voter rolls as a result of this. The idea sounds good. Only citizens should be able to, to vote, right? Of course. But the question is, what hurdles are we putting up? And for people who've been voting for decades, why are we now requiring additional requirements just for them to make sure they vote? For the same reasons, and this is where I disagree a little bit with that premise, for the same reasons that you have seen the security of things go up over time. Because as technology gets better, the ability to cheat gets better. And we now know that people do cheat. I don't believe there's massive voter fraud. I don't believe the elections were stolen. I don't believe that. But I do believe that people cheat. And most people, when it comes to voting, won't don't want people to be able to cheat and big or small numbers. So just like when you have a credit card now, we watch how that's changed. When I was a little kid, a credit card was the honor system. You used a credit card in a store. They scanned it. You got a bill later that month. Now it's added to you right away. We have debit cards. Now we have debit cards with chips where you just tap it on the screen. Technology changes. When you go to those systems, when you log in, we had somebody on from Homeland Security, Arizona's director of Homeland Security, saying that you should go to the two-tiered login system, the verification system an authentication system when you're logging into things online so that it protects and a lot of companies are going to these where not only do you have to have a password but you have to have an app on your phone that authenticates that it's you that's logging in as one more level of protection against cyber attacks does that mean that cyber attacks are worse now i don't know but what it means is it's more sophisticated So when you look at it on its face, as important as voting is to people in this country, you have to get away from the premise that you are trying to make it more difficult for people. No one's trying to make it more difficult to vote. People are trying to make it more difficult to cheat. And there was a lot of this. There were a lot of pieces of legislation when it came to voter integrity that didn't make the grade. They didn't even get out of committee. They didn't get out of the House or the Senate. They didn't get to the governor's desk. But this one did. And this one did because it's something practical that most people agree with. And if you're registered to vote and you've been voting for decades and you're a legal voter, that's the way life goes. It's not a big deal. As a matter of fact, I'll give you one more local example. Here in the state of Arizona, years ago, it was deemed that our driver's licenses were not going to be valid for travel as a form of I.D. There had to be more information in your driver's license for it to be a federal I.D., federally acceptable I.D., So they came up with a second driver's license. You don't have to get it, but you're not getting on an airplane with the other one. So why should it be that I've lived in Arizona for 27 years now? Why should I have to go down to MVD and get a different driver's license to get on an airplane? Why is that? It's the same principle. It's the idea of one more level of protection and making mountains out of a molehill. This is where the political arguments get silly. There are plenty of things for us to argue about politically. This shouldn't be one of them. The vast majority of people think that this is just simply common sense. In a moment, Governor Ducey ends the statewide emergency when it comes to COVID-19. What exactly does that mean? We'll talk about it next. (laughs) So a lot of legislation signed by the governor uh, yesterday, and so there's a lot of fat moving parts in the last few days when it kind of covers some of the things because they're very important to the people in Arizona. One of the things that he signed was not a piece of legislation, but it was rescinding the statewide emergency declaration from the pandemic, from COVID-19. So I want you to hear a little bit of a report. This is our own KTAR News, Brandon King, in a report. Governor Ducey cited vaccines and fewer COVID cases for his decision to end the state's emergency mandate. Dr. Richard Carmona with the State Health Department echoed the governor's sentiment but says it's reasonable to expect new mutations to pop up. Last week, Arizona recorded around 10,000 new cases of COVID-19 with 385 new deaths. Brandon King, KTR News. So hospitalizations have fallen to their lowest point since the pandemic first started. This is a national story. So just look at what's happening in Arizona right now so you know what the numbers are, just to be fair. There are 429, as of yesterday, um, there are 429 people In hospital beds across the state of Arizona, that makes up 5% of bed usage in just your normal hospital beds. There are 113 people in ICU beds. That's 7% of the ICU bed capacity. We have seen a much a dramatically lower number in hospitalizations, the lagging statistics. First, its cases drop, then its hospitalizations drop dramatically. Then you have uh, deaths drop dramatically. And we have seen a dramatic drop in things. And so, you know, we are we are looking at this and saying it's time for us to start dealing with this as like an endemic, like what we do with the flu. Um, And I hopefully what's going to happen when it comes to vaccinations, when it comes to other things that we are ignoring politics and looking more at the reality of things for anyone again. And I don't want to change anybody's mind about vaccines, whether to get them or to not get them. But I know how I made my decision. I I do politics for a living. It's the, it's, you know, it's my bread and butter. But when it comes to something like this, I didn't listen to anyone other than the physicians that I trust with an issue like this. So when you have doctors that, when oh, I'm, the ones I trust, and I, I count, I consulted with them, they're the ones that led me to my decision. Not my political leanings, not my political party, not who was president at the time, none of that. My decision was made on my personal health and the healthcare professionals that, um, were advising me. And I think everyone should do that. The politics comes into this when one group tries to tell you that the way that they want to do it is the way that everyone should do it. And people are guilty of that on both sides of this issue. There were a lot of people that were saying, if you don't wear masks and if you don't get vaccinated, you don't care about people and you're a horrible human being. That's ridiculous. But I've also had people on the other side of the aisle, my side of the aisle, get upset with me for being a sheep. And how could you do that? And it's none of your business either. And why don't we go back to the idea that if you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone on that. But the good news of this is it looks as if for now we have weathered the storm, that we are going back to a sense of normalcy. I don't know of many places that are requiring masks, if any. They've got to get off of airplanes and public transportation. I believe that to be true. But I'm so glad that we've gotten rid of this declaration of emergency in Arizona. We all should celebrate that. And it just seems like the politics carry on. The numbers in Arizona are amazing. The numbers are incredible in in a good way. We had over 10,000 cases last week reported, but that is only about a 6% rate of positive. That is an excellent number, well below the 10% threshold. That's great news. And of this, what we're seeing is unless you are much older, it's it's becoming less and less dangerous for people. This is where the numbers matter to people. The, you know, the death rate, uh, when you look at it, has been very consistent. There were 385 deaths from COVID reported last week, 385. Of them, 312 or 81% were people over the age of 65. When you factor in the next youngest demographic, which I'm rapidly approaching, so there were 353 out of 385 deaths were people over the age of 55. We don't know how many of them had comorbidities. We still haven't seen revised numbers about people that died of covid and people that died with covid. Those are important numbers to know that will come out in the future. But at some point. We have to put away the politics and we just have to do what we know to be the right thing. I'm going to do the right thing, the right thing for me. When it comes to your health care, it's the right thing about you. But we all are a member of the community and we want to do what's right for the community. And it's time we got back to that. This virus looks like it's becoming – staying contagious, in some cases more contagious, but it's also less severe, which is – that is exactly what everybody wants. That's what every one of us should be happy about. If it can move to something where it becomes less dangerous, except for maybe people with these comorbidities, and then let's start addressing those. Let's start addressing the fact that obesity is one of the areas where in most cases it can be dealt with and managed for someone's overall health in the first place. But then on top of that, it's a way to to protect yourself from serious illness or death when it comes to covid comorbidities. It's those things that are, that's the, where COVID could be the, the straw that breaks the camel's back. We don't talk about overall health. We haven't talked with people about physical fitness. You know, we've got kids locked up and masked up and being outside and being healthy are two of the biggest ways to stop, uh, to stave off serious illness. And yet we locked kids up and we put them in masks. We took away their privileges at the park. They couldn't even go to the park and play on playground equipment. And that's that's completely counterproductive to what the experts are saying. So I just think we need to get back to a reasonable way of thinking now that this looks more and more like it's done with. Last season, you know, Cardinal Stadium was pretty amazing. I didn't see masks. I didn't, you know, people were having a great time. It's going to be, I'm hoping, a distant memory this year. You know, the Diamondbacks at, at D-backs games, when you go into the Suns Arena and how great they're playing right now. It's just something we have to deal with. One more piece of legislation we're going to talk about. In a moment, Governor Ducey signs a piece of legislation that bans abortions after 15 weeks. We're going to talk about this piece of legislation. Is it the right thing to do? And who will it affect? And I'll talk about what the governor says and what others are saying about it. We'll do that coming up here in just a moment. KTAR, breaking news Breaking news alert. I'm Jeff Munn, President Biden, making remarks now on gas prices and inflation. We take you to Washington Live.
1: Our NATO allies, and I'm going to always be honest with the American people. Today, I want to talk with you about uh, the cost here at home of Putin's decision to brutally and savagely invade a sovereign nation. The fact is, he's causing thousands of deaths and untold destruction. Working with our NATO allies and our European partners and beyond that, we, uh, we're responding. We're aiding the Ukrainian people, both economically and militarily, while leaving the most punishing economic sanctions against Russia ever used against another nation in place and increasing them. <clears throat> Thus far, these actions are crippling Russia's economy, isolating Putin from the world and helping Ukrainians fight for their country and ease their suffering. But as I've said from the start, Putin's war is imposing a cost on America and our allies and democracies around the world. Today, I want to talk about one aspect of Putin's war that affects and has real effects on American people, Putin's price hike that Americans and our allies are feeling at the pump. I know how much it hurts. As you've heard me say before, I grew up in a family like many of you where the price of a gallon of gasoline went up it was discussed at the kitchen table. Our family budgets, your family budgets to fill a tank, none of it should hinge on whether a dictator declares war. So today I'm laying out a two-part plan, not only to ease the pain that families are feeling right now, but to end this era of dependence and uncertainty, and to lay a new foundation for true and lasting American energy independence. Parenthetically, just imagine If, in fact, Europe didn't have to count on Russian oil, if they were energy independent, it would change the nature of so much. The problem we're facing with gas prices has two roots. First, the pandemic. When COVID struck, demand for oil plummeted, so production slowed down worldwide because of the strength and the speed of our recovery, demand for oil, shot back up much faster than the supply. That's why the cost of gas began to rise last year. The second route is Vladimir Putin. The start of this year, gas was about $3.30 a gallon. Today, it's about averaging four twenty, 420, four twenty-two. dollars It's higher in many states. Nearly a dollar more in less than three months. And the reason for that is because of Putin's war. And now many people are no longer buying Russian oil around the world. i banned the Russian import of oil here in America. Republicans and Democrats in Congress called for it and supported it. It was the right thing to do. But I said at the time, it's going to come with a cost. As Russian oil comes off the global market, supply of oil drops and prices are rising. Now Putin's price hike is hitting Americans at the pump. Which, uh, which brings me to the first part of my plan. To immediately increase the uh, supply of oil, our prices are rising because of Putin's action. There isn't enough supply. And the bottom line is, if we want lower gas prices, we need to have more oil supply right now. For U.S. oil companies that are recording their largest profits in years, they have a choice. One, they can put those profits to productive use by producing more oils restarting idle wells or producing on the sites they already are leasing, giving the American people a break by passing some of the savings on to their customers and lowering the price of the pump. Or they can, as some of them are doing, exploit the situation, sit back, ship those profits to the investors, and while American families struggle to make ends meet. Look, this is a moment of consequence and peril for the world and pain at the pump for American families it's also a moment of patriotism i want to acknowledge those companies that have already announced they're increasing immediate production they're investing money to produce more oil and also clean technology we need to reduce our dependence on oil in the future they have everything they need nothing standing in their way and they've indicated they will be producing an extra 1 million barrels of oil per day probably starting as early as this fall that's progress But some companies have been pretty blunt. They don't want to increase supply because Putin's price hike means higher profits. One CEO even acknowledged that they don't care if the price of a a barrel of oil goes to $200 a barrel. They're not gonna step up the production. I say enough. Enough of lavishing excessive profits on investors and payouts and buybacks. When the American people are watching, the world is watching. U.S. oil companies made nearly $80 billion in profit last year. And this year, those profits are expected to continue to soar. This is the time, not the time, to sit on record profits. It's time to step up for the good of your country and the good of the world to invest in immediate production that we need to respond to Vladimir Putin. To provide some relief for your customers, not investors and executives. Look, I'm a capitalist. I have no problem with corporations turning to good profit. But companies have an obligation that goes beyond just their shareholders to their customers, their communities and their country. No American company should take advantage of a pandemic or Vladimir Putin's actions to enrich themselves at the expense of American families. Investing those profits profits in production and innovation. That's what they should do. Invest in your customers. And it isn't just like, uh, it's not the patriotic thing. it's good for your business as well. Right now, oil and gas industry is sitting on nearly 9,000 unused but approved permits for production on federal lands. Or more than a million unused acres they have a right to, to pump on. Families can't afford that companies sit on these their hands. So, to help execute this first part of my plan, I'm calling for a use-it-or-lose-it policy. Congress should make companies pay fees on wells on federal leases they haven't used in years. And acres of public land they're hoarding without production. Companies that are already producing from these wells won't be affected. But those sitting on unused leases and idle wells will either have to start producing or pay the price for their inaction. Look, the action I'm calling for will make a real difference over time. But the truth is, it takes months, not days, for companies to increase production. That's why the next part of my plan is so important. Today, I'm authorizing the release of one million barrels per day. For the next six months, over 180 million will ever have to deal with this problem again. Ultimately, we and the whole world need to reduce our dependence on fossil fuels altogether. We need to choose long-term security over energy and climate vulnerability. We need to double down on our commitment to clean energy and tackling the climate crisis with our partners and allies around the world. And we can do that. By passing my plan is literally before the Senate right now, the United States Congress right now has been there for well over a month to speed the transition to clean energy future that's made in America with American products and American values. We need to embrace all the tools and technologies that can help us free us from our dependence on fossil fuels, move us toward a more homegrown clean energy. Technologies made by American companies and American workers so we can bolster democratic supply, excuse me, domestic supply chains here at home and export those technologies around the world to reduce greenhouse gases. That's why today I'm issuing a directive to strengthen our clean energy economy. I'm going to use the Defense Production Act to secure American supply chains for the critical materials that go into batteries for electric vehicles and the storage of renewable energy, lithium, graphite, nickel, and so much more. We need to end our long-term reliance on China and other countries for inputs that will power the future. And I'll use every tool I have to make that happen. Yes, a building a made-in-America clean energy future will help safeguard our national security. Yes, will help us tackle climate change. Yes, it's going to help us ensure that Americans create millions of good paying jobs for generations to come. But most important, the most important thing my plan will do right away is save your family money. And here's what I mean. Under my plan, which is before the Congress now, we can take advantage of the next generation of electric vehicles that a typical driver will save about $80 a month from not having to pay gas at the pump. If your home is powered by safer, cheaper, cleaner electricity, like one of America's largest utility companies came to see me at the White House several weeks ago. They told me if we pass my plans before the Congress now, typical families will see savings show up in their utility bills immediately. Costs will come down even more as we innovate and develop cutting-edge energy storage technologies, clean hydrogen technology, advanced nuclear technology, carbon capture and sequestration technologies. And by the way, This week's, the benefit I included in the bipartisan infrastructure law to help families weatherize their homes are being delivered. My administration is making $3.2 billion available from this legislation to provide up to $6,500 direct payment for working-class families to be able to weatherize their homes, to save them money, to keep them warm in the winter and cool in the summer. It's a direct grant. This program has been around for a while, and in the past, it's delivered to families, average families, another $327 in savings when they weatherize. But now, we have the ability to reach 10 times as many families because of the legislation that we already passed in the and the legislation. In addition to that, we're also setting new standards to boost fuel economies for new vehicles sold in America within five years we're going to travel 10 miles more on every single gallon we have because the average fuel economy of 49 miles of the gallon is going to be required. That means hundreds of dollars in savings for families at the pump. We're also setting similar standards for appliances, from your air conditioner to your microwave, your refrigerator, washers, dryers. It's just one of 100 actions we're taking to save the average family $100 per year in utility bills. Look, the bottom line is this between wrapping up, ramping up production in the short term and driving down demand in the long term, we can free ourselves from our dependence on imported oil from across the world. Look, I know gas prices are painful. I get it. My plan is going to help ease that pain today and safeguard again against tomorrow. I'm open to ideas to strengthen the plan, but I will not be put off and put it on hold. Hold at my disposal to protect you from Putin's price hike. It's not time for politics. America's, Americans can't afford that right now. So let's meet this moment together. Remember, we're the only nation that has turned every crisis we ever faced into an opportunity. We have a crisis, the price at the pump. So let's show some true strength in this nation, show our unity, our resolve, our innovative spirit in America and come out of this long term much better off if we stand up to the bullies of the world the autocrats and dictators we stand up for those who are are who are ready to unite unite with us united states of america so may god bless you and may god protect our troops thank you That's an open question. Uh, there's a lot of speculation. Uh, but uh, he seems to be, I'm not saying this with a certainty, he seems to be self-isolating. And there's some indication that he has um, fired or put under house arrest some of his advisors. Um, but I, I, I don't want to put too much stock in that at this time because we don't have that much hard evidence. Mr. President, you- Mr. President, Mr. President, Mr. President how much is monetary terms, do you estimate today's announcement has reduce gas prices, and when can Americans expect to see these changes? That's a really important question, and there's no firm answer to it. But prices already came down when it was announced ahead of time that Biden was going to release so much and so much energy from so many barrels of oil from the Spro. They're already come down. My guess is we'll see it come down, continue to come down. Um, but how far down, I don't think anyone can tell. And there's going to be a slight delay because if you go out there and you're a gas station and you purchased X amount of gas at a certain price, you're not going to lower the price of the pump until you're able to get back what you invested. And that I'm talking matter of, I think, you know, days and weeks. But it's hard to tell. And the other thing is exact, but it will come down. And it could come down fairly significantly. It could come down the better part of you know anything from ten cents to thirty five cents a gallon. It's unknown at this point. I'm also waiting to see whether or not our allies exactly how many how many barrels they release from their supplies now. My guess is it could be as high, somewhere between 30 million to 50 million barrels. And the higher the number, the more likely the prices to come back. Thank you all very much. I appreciate it. Thank you.